Welcome again to the Comic Book Historian Podcast. I'm Alex Grand with my co-host Jim Thompson. Today we are concluding our interview with one of the most diverse inkers of our time who has inked more pencils on more artists and more characters than anybody in history. Welcome back, Joseph Rubenstein. Let's continue. The, the other work that of, of this time, actually two years later, that I want to talk about is, is obviously the, uh, the Wolverine series with right. uh, Claremont and, and uh, with uh, Miller. Uh, right. w- w- now, at that point, those were probably the, the two hottest names working at Marvel at all, and there they are together uh, on the, probably the hottest character. Uh, how did you get that job? Frank walked up to me at the offices and went, we're doing this Wolverine miniseries. You want to ink it? I go, yeah. Huh. That's easy. Like, like so many things in life, you have no idea what a pivotal decision it is till you look back at it 10, 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Um, and, and I had been, um, I've been reading Frank's Daredevil and of course they were fantastic and wonderful and magnificent. And, um, Klaus was probably Frank's perfect inker for that. Yeah. So I went, all right, well, now I've got to follow uh, uh, Jansen on this thing. But, but the difference was there's this thing called a Kirby barrier where a penciler sees if he can draw an entire comic book in one week and still make it look good. Mm. And because, you know, the, the, it's, it's a legend, but it also happens to be true. Right. Um, I don't remember the actual numbers, but let's say there was Captain America 118 in the offices and there was Captain America 120 in the offices. And somebody said, hey, where's 119? We got no 119. I don't know why they didn't shift it, but they went, we need a comic book right away. Mm. And so they called up Jack Kirby and said, Jack, would you do a comic book? And he went, sure. And he drew the entire origin again of Captain America over the weekend. <laughs> and of course, Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby is a force of nature, and he can do that. Right. So, um, so, so Frank and some others, I guess, decided to see, can I draw an entire comic book in a week and it not look like shit? So Frank, to my understanding, drew all four issues of the Wolverine miniseries in four weeks. But the difference is, is he did them in um, he did them as layout, which means there's an awful lot more choices for the inker to make, an awful lot of things that are sketchy or rough or what have you. So he gave Klaus uh, finished pencils, and he gave me layouts. So if you look at them, they don't look at all alike, not only because of my style, even though Klaus Jensen and I were both trained by Dick Giordano, yeah. And at the beginning, we were both imitating Dick, but then we diverged. Um, the reason the two series don't look a thing alike is because Frank was storytelling differently, and he was giving me layouts, not full pencils. Right, because those faces, when you look close up at them, it doesn't feel like Frank. It feels like, it feels like your stuff. It feels like you. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a portrait painter. It's, it's the thing I love doing most is people and faces and... Uh, if there were a bunch of great heads in a comic book, I'd ink them right away because who can wait? And then I'd be stuck with all the stuff I hate doing <laughs> at the right. end of the comic book. But, right. I mean, I don't know how anybody can have this great, juicy, wonderful head on page 19 and go, okay, I'll get there in two weeks. Like, mm. no. What are you, <laughs> wait for dessert? Jesus. So, yeah. So And, and you know, as um, they asked me about 
the Infinity Gauntlet, and they asked me about other stuff at comic book conventions. How was it drawing the, you know, working on the Infinity Gauntlet? And um, it's like when they go up to people who worked on Gone with the Wind or The Godfather, what was it like? Like, it's a job. Yeah. We showed up. We did it. It was mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, I wanted another job, so I did it as well as I could. It's right. a job. I, I don't know. I don't know if any actor says, "Okay, I'm going to get Academy Award on this one, so I better do better than you." You know, it's like you go in and you do what you can, and you do it as best you can because, as I alluded to earlier, um, you spend the majority of your life alone in a room doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. You'd like to have something you're proud of when you're done. Right. Um, and you also want to get hired again next time. So you got to do a good job. So, Alex, did you, we, we were going to talk about the official handbook, and we kind of skipped ahead and, and did that. Did, we did that. That's right. Um, uh, let me ask, um, Joe, yeah. w- are there other um, collaborators or projects that are especially memorable that you'd like to, to, to mention or talk about? Certainly, I think a, a career highlight was working on the Justice League and all the manifestations of it. Like, I can't believe it's not the League and formerly known as the Justice League, because um, Giffen and Dematis did a fantastic job. The book was really funny, but it also had wonderful drama. And McGuire, McGuire worked very hard on it. And then when he left, Adam Hughes, who's a you know a superior artist. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those things looked good, read very well. Um, my only hesitation is um, Kevin draws so tightly that there was very little of me to do anything on it other than give it a little bit of a flourish or a little bit of polish. Now, I'm not saying my job is to add anything to it, but um, it has been known to happen, and this job was just follow those lines as closely as you can and, like Hippocratic Oath, try to do no harm. Right. The Hippocratic Oath in inking, I like it. Here's a question for you. Who would you say is the quintessential Jack Kirby inker? Well, the one that um, is, I think, most associated with Jack is Joe Sinnott. Yeah. And Joe Sinnott was fantastic. But my favorite inker, and it turns out a lot of professionals' favorite inkers, was Frank Giacoya. Oh, okay. And ah. I, I, I nominate Frank Giacoya as the greatest inker who ever lived. Because the line was thicker, or, or why is that? Frank could do, speaking back to versatility, all right? Frank okay. could ink Gil Kane, and it looked great. Yeah. And he could ink Jack Kirby, and it looked great. Yeah. And he could ink Gene Colan, and it looked great. And mm-hmm. he could ink Adams, and it looked really good. He wasn't his best inker. So Frank's coming from the 40s and the Milton Kniff style. Yeah. That's why he melded well with uh, Kirby. But he, but he also could draw, so he understood how to tame Kane. And he was a good enough artist where that one issue of, of uh, Green Arrow he inked over, over Adams, he knew how not to dominate it, you know? So something about Frank's line, something about Frank's understanding of drawing. Now you could say, well, I like Wally Wood better. It's just good for you. And I like uh, Tom Palmer better. You're right to love Tom Palmer. Absolutely. Sure, sure. It's a preference, yeah. I think Frank Giacoya had a versatility that those other guys didn't. And I'm proud to say that when I was inducted into the Inker's Hall of Fame, the, the posthumous induction that year was Frank. And yeah. I'm glad about that. 
The same uh, year, yeah. That's yeah. A, are you talking about the Inkwell Hall of Fame? The Joe Stinnett yeah, Inkwell was, Hall of Fame? Okay, in 2016. Joe Stinnett Inkwell Hall of Fame, yeah. I it's, wanted to ask you, um, just to go back to the, the that notion of the, the, the composition of the music and then uh, the instruments and such. Um, let's say the composer was, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of different names. Um, start with Jim Starlin, and you're approaching that as, as the composition. What do, you, what do you do with that? How do you approach that, that particular piece of work? My approach, my approach to everyone is follow it judiciously unless you have reasons not to. Hmm. If, if he wants that kind of lighting, that's his business. And if he wants no lighting, that's his business. But if, I'm, I'm not talking about Jim now, I'm just talking in general. But, but if somebody makes a panel and the anatomy's wrong, I'll go, all right, I gotta, I gotta move this week so that it makes better sense. If they put lighting down and the lighting is weirdly inconsistent, I'll fix it. If, if, if the girl, in my estimation, uh, isn't beautiful, I'll do what I can to get, make her beautiful in my view of beautiful. But when I inked Eric Larson on a three-part Spider-Man uh, Wolverine in Marvel Presents, yeah. when they reprinted it, they didn't give me credit for it because it never occurred to them that Eric Larson wasn't the inker on it. When um, Bill Sienkiewicz's very first job was a Moon Knight in the back of the Hulk comp- sure. color I inked that, and my credits were left off of it. But, oh, well, Bill can ink. That guy showed up. Where'd he come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, were you inking that as Giordano because it was, you were basically inking Adams at that point? No. By that, by that point, my stuff had evolved. I was inking less like Dick and letting the other influence is in. Because Dick, um, Dick tried to uh, emulate a or simulate a... Um, pen stroke with a brush. He got tired of always having his stuff smeared when he worked with a pen. He said, I'm going to ink with a brush. Well, I was attracted to the pen-like quality of what he was doing, and I started to go more towards the pen guys, like Stan Drake, and, uh, or, or, or the way I use Stan's my idol on how to use a pen. You know, and he's obviously a tremendous influence on Adams and how, Neil Adams, not Arthur, on how he does women and drapery and clothing and gestures. Neil, Neil, if, if you look at Neil's women, the, certainly at the Ben Casey days, they're very, very derived from Stan Drake. If you look at Neil's men, they're very influenced by a guy named Tom Scheuer, who was an advertising artist that Neil worked with. From there, and you know, Neil threw in Joe Kubert and Wally Wood and Austin Briggs, who was an illustrator. But, you know, all of that stuff came from those guys. And I got that stuff from those guys, too. So I started to look at how Stan did hair and how Stan did drapery and how Stan did pretty girls. Um, so uh, years ago, like 86 or something, when that worldwide telethon happened that's in the movie about Freddie Mercury, yeah. um, Marvel, had, Marvel and DC were doing these benefit books for African hunger, one of which was Heroes for Hunger. And Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson were the guys who organized it. Right. And what they decided to do was to just pack in as many creators as they could. So everybody, every writer and pencil and inker and letterer and colorist got two pages each. 
That's it. They asked me if I do it, and of course I would. And and, and I said, uh, I asked them, who do they get for me? And they said, well, we'll work on it. And they came to me and said, I said, did you get, uh, you know, like Garcia Lopez, who I hadn't inked yet? They went, no. We got Joe Kubert. I went, oh, my God. I mean, huh. it's, it's Joe Kubert is a force of nature, my favorite comic book artist ever. And yeah. I was going oh, to cool. have to ink his stuff. Terrifying. So... I got these two pages to ink, and they looked, to my relief and <laughs> simultaneous chagrin, um, they looked like a Joe Kubert inked pages in graphite problem. Because I trace it, it will lose all the vitality of Joe Kubert's work. But if I ignore it, it won't be Joe Kubert. So I inked a little of it, and I thought I was doing a terrible job. And um, I, I had the luxury of putting it away for a week. And then I went back and I inked it, and I inked it, I thought, pretty true to the intention. I sent Xeroxes of it to Kubert, Joe Kubert. Yeah. It was like dropping a feather in a wishing well. Nothing. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore, and I called up Joe, and I said, did you get the Xeroxes? He says, yeah, what would you think? And he went, oh, no, you didn't do badly. And uh, I was crestfallen. I was I was bereft, <laughs> you know. Oh. And then, and then months later, I run into Joe's sons and tell them the story, and they go, "Oh, that's like a rave from our father." So, <laughs> uh. so the thing is, I get a phone call from Marshall Rogers, and he said, "Hey, they put your credits on this Joe Kubert page, but you didn't ink it." I went, "No, I did. That's me, you know." If you said. Ink a page just like Joe Kubert, I don't know that I could, but if you stick Joe Kubert in front of me and keep it tight enough, I can keep it looking like Joe Kubert. So my thrust is always change a line and keep the attitude of what's in front of you. That makes sense. Was there ever anybody that you, you found you just couldn't do? You mean didn't do well enough? Y yeah, <laughs> that you just you couldn't capture them as an artist. Yeah, Jack Kirby. I was... I'm too afraid of Jack Kirby. He's Jack Kirby, for God's sakes. Huh. So I was, I was always way too uptight to ink Jack Kirby stuff well. Now, when, when Giacoya and Sinnott and Sid Shores and all those other guys, Vinny, God help us, um, would ink him, it's like, it's Jack. You know, he's one of the guys, and you go to dinner with Jack, and you have drinks with Jack. But to me, Jack Kirby, and I'm not changing a line. And unfortunately... You can't be afraid. It's, again, it's like the music. It's like, I can't play a good piece of music if I'm like, oh, God, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Oh, is this the right key? Oh, no, no. What am I doing? You know, you just have to wade in. Kirby, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it looked amateurish, but I never thought what I did was really up to the what it should have been. Well, how would you feel Mike Royer was as an anchor on Jack? Um, I felt he was far too faithful and and some of the best parts of Jack Kirby is when um Giacoya and Sinnott added a polish and a muscle and a I see. Okay. Cover. I felt I felt that when when I had Kirby on a couple of covers, I did a a Black Panther cover and um found a super sophisticated anatomy underneath the leg that Jack had stylized but really understood. 
And I think that what happened was more often than not, the later inkers, the ones who just are not going to screw with Jack Kirby, started to um, stylize it in a way because they were so enamored of the shape, got the intention of it. It's mm. sort of if you took of numbered footprints and laid them on the ground in a sequence and you said, okay, hit these in the numerical order, you would, but you wouldn't be Fred Astaire. You wouldn't be dancing. You'd just be hitting the notes. Right. The steps, actually. Uh-huh. We should at least close out with with maybe the, the, the death of the anchor. Is it it's still, is it, is it a career anymore? I guess so. I guess somebody's out there stuff I mean uh, you know I think uh, David Finch has got inkers and Lenny Liu's got inkers and all those all those uh, Brazilians have Joe Prado and Eau Claire and all that sort of stuff so I guess people are still inking um, it's they're not most pencilers are doing their own their own stuff now because of, of uh, I, I don't know that they are I, I just mentioned a bunch of them who aren't but yeah, um, that's true. Are, there are definitely people who are doing it all on the and that's certainly leaving everybody out of the picture. It's like um, I think I think Terry Beatty and Mike Manley, who do, does judge somebody or another, um, they all do it directly on the computer. So yeah, inkers are inkers are going the way of the pianist um, at the silent movies. Um, and you know, I just got my very first cover for Marvel uh, DC Comics in 14 years. Talked to a guy at a convention. Said, oh, I'm doing a cover at DC. You want to ink it? I go, yeah. But then I looked it up. They haven't given me a cover in 14 years, and I used to do lots of covers. Uh, so whatever the combination of circumstances, uh, they don't know who I am. They have friends. They have teams. People are under contract. Uh, the, the computer's doing it. They want to discover somebody new. They think my stuff is old hat. Whatever it is, I don't work for Marvel or DC ever. They never call me up for any kind of gig. So. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's just crazy. Because you were of that, especially of that 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 prime Marvel era. You were you were one of the one of the chief. I mean, obviously one of the chief inkers there. You know, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's like um, some if somebody said to me, "What's what's the look of Marvel Comics?" It's a Joe Sinnott. You know, it's like Joe Sinnott is Marvel Comics. And they said, no, 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 you and Austin and Jansen were the look of Marvel Comics in the 80s. I went, that's right. I was just working. But I, I, it never occurred to me. I was just, you know, I was just taking on as much as I could because I wanted to do it, because I loved it, because I couldn't say no. Because, you know, you're working on a, a Captain America and somebody says, we have a Gene Colan job. Yes. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Say, no, I'm sure there's another Gene Colan job showing up sometime soon. Or, or like, for instance, uh, DC Comics called me up once and said, I think this is like, oh, my God, 24 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they said, um, you want to make a flash job? I go, yeah, great. Says, it's Carmine. I went, oh, great. Oh. great. And then they sent it over. And what I didn't realize was it was a Barry Allen flash job. Mm. And now I'm deeply into my childhood. Mm. So I get to ink a Kurt Swan Superman job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, a, a Dracula pinup by Gene Colan a John Buscema Conan cover, you know. So that's by far the best part about being an inker, in my estimation, is that you get to work with legends, pieces of your childhood, artists 
who are better than you'll ever be, and you have to rise to the occasion. Um, but as I said, I, I'm doing some indie stuff. Like, interestingly enough, I'm doing two different books with Ron Friends, who I used to do Spider-Man and Captain and uh, Superman with. Um, but mostly I, I just sort of roam around conventions. I'm also a portrait painter. Um, I also do murals, you know, so I do plenty of, uh, if, if I didn't do my own artwork away from comic books, I would go nuts because it's great to be a collaborator, but it's also important to just start with my white piece of paper and compose my own music now and again. Um, you didn't but, do a lot of that in, in, in comics. Was there a reason? Did you just get in that groove as an inker and that's what you enjoyed? Or was it hard to make it, uh, um, to get, to, to break out of that mode? There you go. Uh, why, why didn't I pencil? Yes. Okay. Um, well, I did pencil some of the, um, Marvel Universe entries because I just wanted to see if I could and, and, I, you know, I had a lot of um, trepidation about doing that stuff because I rarely pencil superheroes or rarely pencil comic books. Um, but comic books has paid for my painting addiction all oh, these cool. years. Yeah. So I've never had to, and, and maybe I'd be a better painter today if I had to sell my paintings, if I had to get uh, a gallery show. Maybe I would have been forced to get better. But... Um, I would rather spend five hours painting a portrait than drawing a comic book page. And I'd mm. rather, um, I, I don't know if I said this before or not, but I, I would go insane if I didn't do my own artwork. And my own artwork is not drawing the X-Men. My own artwork is doing what I want to do today. And on top of that, um, you know, everybody always has somebody who's their boss who tells them how to do the job and what they should do and all that stuff. Um, right. And I don't need that. I, I, I'm fine with that when I do my other artwork, and I just want to do whatever I feel like doing and not have to ask anybody's permission to do it. And certainly in comic books, people talk about how, uh, well, I'm doing my own comic book, and it's just because they're fed up with anybody else telling them how they should be doing it. Um, oddly enough, I've never had a story I want to tell. I know a lot of people do, and maybe if you said, you have to create your own comic book line, putting some thinking into it. But right now, I'd rather just have somebody standing in front of me with some dramatic lighting on them, challenging me to figure out how to recreate this in oil paint. So, mm -hmm. so um, Carmine, last question for me, Carmine Infantino. Who is your favorite anchor on him? Um, Carmine on himself. Was was pretty good, I thought, in the '60s. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But somebody who made it a more interesting application of the ink was Dick Giordano, oh, okay. because because Dick was a uh, a cartoonist, mm -hmm. and he drew he drew illustratively, but he certainly did love the Milton Kniffs and things like that. Um, Dick told me that his style was kind of drawing as well as um, Leonard Starr, but understanding how to do the blacks like Milton Kniff, you know. And, and certainly when, when Dick started to um, work with Neil, his work started to change and be far more influenced by Neil, whether I, it was conscious 
because they were as a team, so they should match, or because you, he was just around the guy a lot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know because I'm never going to ask Neil. So, right. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so it's not necessarily uh, Murphy Anderson who added that polish to to yeah, his, I mean, stuff. What do, what do you want? You know, it's like, do you want it to look like Murphy Anderson with Carmine Infantino's sort of thin bodies? Because Carmine did not draw big, fat, tall, muscular guys. They were always right. kind of very thin. Yeah, slender. So, right. So do you want that kind of line, the one he did on Kurt Swan and the one he did on Mike Sikowski and the one he did on Neil Adams when he did a couple of Superman covers? Well, the ones on Neil, I'm not sure you realize are Neil. Right. So, again, it's yeah. like... What do you want? And um, if it's if if you want everything to look like the same guy, and yeah. you, you you love it's like Frank Rosetta. Frank Rosetta when he inked Al Williamson or Angela Torres or whoever the hell he inked, it was fantastic. It was magnificent. How could you go wrong? Right. But if you gave him Jack Kirby. Would it look weird? Would it look strange? Would it look fuzzy? And or right. would it look interesting? I don't know. Um, John, you, you know the job I always wanted to see happen that never happened was John Buscema laying out Conan or Tarzan and Joe Kubert finishing it up. Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So John Buscema's, of course, both men men could do it without the other, but with John Buscema's version of Tarzan or Conan and his his dynamics and his compositions with Joe Kubert's incredible vital brushwork and the textures and all that stuff. So that's the kind of stuff I like. Now, Gil Kane, who, by the way, Gil Kane and I hated each other. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy who inspired me to be an inker was was a douchebag, and I, I told him so. Huh? Um, why? Uh, why was that? Was he? Uh, how, why'd you feel that way? Because he was he was rude and obnoxious and and did not uh, do the right thing once when we we had an interaction. Now I'm sure he thought that he was right and I was a jerk and that he he wouldn't cross the street to pee on me. But that's I, <laughs> I'm 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 here to tell the story and Gil Kane was an asshole. Oh um, wow, okay. But, everybody but, has an opinion on him. Whenever we talk to anybody, they usually, you know, Gil Kane, uh, or they say Archie Goodwin and they all say good things. But with, with Gil Kane, it's, you never know what direction it's going to go. Archie right. Goodwin's one of the nicest guys who ever lived. Everybody loved him. Gil Kane was, some people loved him and a lot of people didn't love him. And I could give you the list because when I say I don't love him, the, the people say, oh, me too. All right. But <laughs> I could have gladly inked him the rest of my life if I never had to actually have a conversation or interaction with him mm. because there was denying that the stuff was fantastic. And I, I, I don't look see a lot of complex right now, so I probably don't have an authority to say this, but I don't see anybody using negative space the way Gil Kane did. I don't see anybody airing out the panels the way Gil Kane did in his compositions. Drawing was highly stylized, and it may turn you on or it may turn you off, whatever it was. But a lot of people could learn from how to put together a page from Gil Kane. Who would you say is in your top three or even favorite penciler that you've inked? I mean, is that a hard question? Is that an unfair question? Well, somebody who's the artist, artist, somebody who, who even jumbo bores with enormous egos will admit is better than they are 
is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Mm, okay, I see, yeah. And and Chaikin mentioned something about him too in in a similar regard. Okay, go ahead. So he's you know <clears throat> he's fantastic. He's great. He's the best. There's no denying Jack Kirby is mm-hmm. comics. Yes. And at the same time, again, I keep going back to Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert doing Tarzan fighting a gorilla with the black yeah. fur flying just takes my breath away. Uh, John Buscema, one of the greatest draftsmen in comics, I don't know, maybe ever, any place. Um, Gene Colan, most people aren't good enough to swipe Gene Colan, let alone draw like Gene Colan. Right. Um, so then there's there's guys like Ivan Rias, who's really great. Ryan Sook, work a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, Adam Hughes is, is just a very, very fine draftsman and, and knows what to do with color. Right. You know, so it's... it's um, who would I cast for what? You know. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a diverse question, actually. It, yeah, I mean, did, it's the same. Did you question. ever meet Alex Toth? Yeah, yeah, yes, I did. He tried to steal a girl from me at a convention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Did he? Did he succeed? No. Oh, okay. Also, those <laughs> after that experience to admire him from a distance. So, <laughs> so um, have you ever inked Storenko? Yeah. Oh, you did? I inked him. Yeah. I inked him. A, I mean, I inked him on a couple of pinups and a Marvel Universe entry. And um, I've never actually inked his direct pencils, just blue lines. But yeah, I've inked Stranko. Oh, I, cool. I guess, okay. You just, uh, other than the newer, newer guys, I doubt you can find anybody I haven't inked with the exception of, from the olden days, Alex Toth. Right. Dave Stevens. Yeah, uh, and uh, that might be it. I mean, yeah, you can count them on one died. hand who you have inked. That's amazing. Right, so, so you inked you inked Ditko? Yeah, sure. Um, how was that? It was fine. He he gave a very minimal <laughs> kind of a line, and I I did the same. I didn't elaborate on it because they were full pencils. Again, if <clears throat> if uh, Rudy Nebras or Alcala Dizini had gotten them, I'm sure they would have overwhelmed them but i was on marvel universe and i just wanted to keep the stuff real right so i probably have to get back to my work and contacting me or getting commissions or getting me for comic book conventions they can always go to my website which is joerubensteinart.com and that's an easy way to find me and you know i'm on all the others uh, uh instagram and facebook so. wonderful do yeah. you go to san diego uh am i going to san diego this year yeah. no they wouldn't give me a chair because I think they want new blood there, even though I'm an Eisner Award winner, which means I have lifetime access to the place, just nowhere to sit down. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow, that's crazy. Write a letter. That's right. You know, I, I wouldn't mind people starting to write letters to Marvel and DC saying, you know, if your stuff looked more like comic books. I, I mean, I like comics as much as the next guy as far as the modern stuff. But yeah, that that look, the look that you gave, whenever I see you, put out a picture on your Facebook or I just look at your stuff, you know, I have your stuff on my wall. I mean, I love it. That looks like comics. It feels like comics. They smell like comics. That the thing that I'm doing now with Ron friends is called Liberty Brigade. And it's put, it was a Kickstarter from uh, thrilling nostalgia press or publishing. I forget. Um, and it's uh, a hundred page hardbound graphic novel set in 1947 where common domain superheroes, so you know not, none of the guys you ever heard of, mm-hmm. um, are fighting Nazis, 
and uh, 40 pages are by Ron Friends and I. 40 pages are by Barry Kitson and Nick Gray. And oh, then there's great. origin stories by Alan Davis, George Perez, Mike Perkins, Alan Weiss. So it's and and it's a comic book. It looks like a comic book. So we, as the Kickstarter, we got all our money on the first day, like the first hour. Right. And then 30 days later, we had two and a half times the money we were looking for. So I guess there are people out there who would like to see a comic book that looks like a comic book. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, that yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. Are you are you painting? What are you what are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing like a whole bunch of remark paintings on comic books. That's why oh, I cool. take Hush, and I do miniature paintings on comic books like Infinity Gauntlet and the Wolverine miniseries, so you get a piece of original art on top of your comic book. Oh, nice. Good. Well, this has been an awesome interview with Hall of Fame inker Joseph Rubenstein. We had a really great time chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining uh, Gemini today. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 